Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers. Welcome to this time and place of worship, both in person and virtually. We're so happy that each of you have joined us. Thank you, Caleb and Perry, for that music that invites us into this space. A few words of clarification. If you're new to us this semester, if you're joining us virtually, you will find the order of worship in the chat. If you are joining us in person, a reminder of our EMU protocol of COVID, uh, we do not sing aloud, but we will follow the words on the wall and follow the instrumentalists. So today marks the first chapel of the new year, of the new semester. We set it aside and mark it as a convocation. Today we will hear from Sue Cockley, who is the Dean of the School of Theology, Humanities, and the Performing Arts, which includes our seminary as well as from Nancy Heise, our Associate Dean. We will also take plenty of time towards the end of the service to pray together for needs surrounding the pandemic, for needs surrounding political unrest in our country and around the world, and for the challenges that we each face personally as we start a new semester. So join me now as we begin our time of worship. We will read the call to worship that's projected on the wall. Kevin will lead the congregational voice, which is the bold, trip, bold print, and I will read the light print. And this uh, call to worship comes from Psalm 146. Come, let us praise our God. We will praise the Lord as long as we live. We will sing praises to our God our whole life long. Do not put your trust in worldly monarchs in whom there is no help. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob and the God of Jesus. Who made heaven and earth, who keeps faith forever. Who brings justice for the oppressed, who sets the prisoners free. The Lord will reign forever. Let, Let us, us gather, gather together, together to praise, praise our God. God. Our opening song continues with this theme, I will sing the mighty power of God.
Before we have the reading of the psalm, I'd like to take a moment to introduce both of our speakers. Neither of them are strangers to those of us who have been part of the seminary for a while, but there may be some who are new here today, so I wanted to say a word about Sue and Nancy. Sue Cockley has worked at EMU since 1996. She has served as the director of the Adult Degree Completion Program, as director of the MA in Organizational Research, as associate graduate dean, and is currently dean of EMU's School of Theology, Humanities, and Performing Arts, under which the seminary lies. Her academic interests include literacy, orality, community culture and education, and the role of social justice in higher education. Sue and her husband Dave are members of Community Mennonite Church here in Harrisonburg. And she will be sharing reflections on Psalm 145, entitled God's Goodness. Nancy Heisey has served at EMU in many capacities, including as undergraduate dean and now as associate dean of the seminary. Most recently, she very ably shepherded the seminary through its accreditation review process. Nancy's first love is church history, and along with her role in administration at the seminary, she teaches in the undergrad Bible and religion department. She also served as president of Mennonite World Conference and has traveled and lived extensively overseas. She also is a member of Community Mennonite Church here in Harrisonburg. And Nancy will be sharing reflections on Psalm 27 entitled Mercy and Glory. We look forward to what both of them have to share with us this morning. A reading from Psalm 145. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open their hands, satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Thank you, Steve. Good morning and welcome uh, back to EMS for our spring semester. Thomas Kuhn's book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, popularized a term called paradigm shift. A paradigm is a set of beliefs, images, concepts, and structures that govern the way we think about something. This is part of meaning making, an important aspect of being human. Sometimes though, our paradigms can lead us in the wrong direction. We get to a place where our paradigm no longer really helps us make meaning out of the evidence all around us. <clears throat> we can even become blind to evidence that doesn't fit our paradigm. We cling to our familiar way of making meaning. We tremble to think that we could no longer be able to make sense of our lives, that our existence is meaningless and without purpose. When this happens, we need to reevaluate our paradigm. Kuhn said that paradigm change, paradigm shift, becomes necessary when the previous paradigm 
becomes so full of holes and patchwork fixes that a complete overhaul is necessary. The shift in thinking, which might have felt threatening at one time, now appears to be really the only way forward and as a real lifeline. Are we at one of those critical junctures now? Might we now be willing to adopt a new set of beliefs, values, and systems that could change or maybe even save humanity in our world? Ryan McLaren writes about the power of stories. He uses the language of a framing story, and it's kind of like a paradigm. He says a framing story gives people direction, values, vision, and inspiration for providing a framework for their lives. It tells them who they are, where they come from, what's going on, where things are going, what they should do. While we all have stories that answer those questions on a personal level, a framing story dictates the general beliefs of a culture, nation, religion, and even humanity as a whole. This feels to me like a time when at least parts of my former framing story are getting uncomfortable. Evangelical Christianity, as it is often lived today, can make me feel uncomfortable. Learning about white privilege in my own life makes me uncomfortable. Considering the world my lovely granddaughters will inherit makes me very uncomfortable. It wasn't supposed to be this way, was it? Now in my seventh decade, wasn't the world supposed to be getting better? What happened to progress? One of the hopeful things I read over Christmas was Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Kimmerer. She is an indigenous person who belongs to the Potawatomi people, and she writes of her culture's understanding of the place of humans in creation. We alone, among all of God's creatures, have been blessed with the gift of gratitude. And our work on, in the world is to give thanks. How that changes my framing story. Richard Rohr suggests that as Christians, we have the opportunity to live the story that was given to us at the very beginning. The creation is good, even very good, and that it is our vocation to nurture and grow such goodness wherever we can. Let's consider this new frame. Progress as defined by our culture is not necessarily God's idea of good. In fact, it's often the opposite. All we, like sheep, have indeed gone astray. We are all creatures, just like trees and rabbits and politicians are creatures. But God is good. God loves all of creation. God is working for the fulfillment of creation. God wills for all creatures to inhabit their particular roles. The role of humans is to love God and to be thankful on behalf of all the rest of creation. God often asks us to step up in difficult times, to take a stand for truth, for justice. God gives us work to do, to care for others, to show love and respect to all of creation. But I think this unique work 
of thanksgiving is as much for our own well-being as it is for God's glory. Thanking God for being good, for working for the fulfillment of the world, reminds me of my rightful place in creation, my dependency on God, and my belonging to God. Giving thanks strengthens our spirit and encourages our hearts. It equips us for the hard work. The world is still messed up. The sheep are very, very far astray. There's a lot of work to do. Yet in the midst of this, God's goodness endures. Thanks be to God. Amen. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil dealers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I ask for the Lord 
that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the days of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And one more section from Psalm 27 that we find in the midst of the words that Kent has just read for us. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Have mercy on me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. I've noticed something over the past year or two. When someone posts something on a social media outlet that they view as terrible or tragic, and here I'm thinking particularly of friends and colleagues, when they post something that's bad news, it might be personal, it might be community-wide, it might be international in scope, some of us respond, Kyrie eleison. Why do we do this? I think it has to do with feeling speechless and overwhelmed. We could say, Lord have mercy, but somehow in English it sounds a little colloquial, maybe a little too lighthearted. There's something about Kyrie eleison that, at least for me, seems to echo the fear or the anger or the grief. Kyrie eleison reflects a sense that only the Holy One can help when we cannot. Most of us have given up the response, thoughts and prayers. How often have I seen in the last year when someone tries that response, the sharp critique. 
thoughts and prayers are not enough. I have to confess that last, actually Thursday, January 7, Orthodox Nativity, I crept into the back of Holy Merbearer's Orthodox Church for the opening of their feast day liturgy. It was the day after the storming of the U.S. Capitol and also the day after my daughter's birthday and the day that Western Christians mark as Epiphany. I was feeling wordless and overwhelmed, but I longed to be in physical space with other Christians. And I know how their church is laid out. I know how the liturgy begins. I know how to position myself safely in the back with my mask on, and I knew that I could sneak out after the reading of the hours. Now, the reading of the hours in uh, the liturgy is the practice of going through all the psalms that would normally be read in a, a faith community over a 24-hour period if we followed the ancient schedule, 3 a.m., 6 a.m., 9 a.m., and so on. But since most people in our world don't do that, at Holy Merbearers and many other places, they read the entire psalm sequence before the service begins. They read it very fast. I've often thought about how hard the reader has to prepare to do this. And within the reading of the hours, the words Kyrie eleison are repeated over and over. In fact, one part of the sequence has those words read 40 times in a row. I tried to count it one time and I couldn't keep up. But on, October, um, on, on January 7, I bowed my head with everyone else and I just let that plea wash over me. The cry to God for mercy is ancient. It's found throughout scripture and especially in the Psalms. The plea can be phrased with several different Hebrew verbs, so I thought, let me just look up the translation into Greek and look up the specific imperative verb eleison. It shows up 26 times in the Psalms. Sometimes this cry is for personal forgiveness, as in Psalm 51. Sometimes it is for safety in the midst of persecution and violence. And sometimes the plea is global in focus. One of those places is here in Psalm 27. Have mercy on me, O God, and hear me. The prayer, Kyrie eleison, is truly a prayer that has resonated down the millennia, and it still carries our cries today. It's important to notice, though, that whether you're in Psalm 27 or in almost any other one of the Psalms, they don't stay in one place. Psalm 27 begins, as we've heard, with 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. And it ends with, I believe I will see the goodness of the Holy One in the land of the living. So the cry for mercy is placed between these affirmations of God's goodness, as we've just heard in Sue's comments. Recognizing that form of the psalm made me think about another part of the ancient Christian liturgy. Traditionally, after the Kyrie, the very next part is the Gloria. Now that's Latin, so we may not think as much about how it fits into the way the ancient scriptures were first translated. I've sung many settings of the Gloria, and I'm guessing many of you have as well. We probably all heard, or if we were in a place where we could sing over the Christmas season, we've sung it. Glory to God in the highest. Long ago, before I ever started studying the ancient languages, I heard someone say that glory didn't just mean celebration or light, it also meant heavy. I let that idea kind of sink down into the recesses of my memory and it just simmered away there for a very long time until I was thinking about how we pray in these times. I did another check of the Psalms and I found that the noun glory, just, this is from my Greek students, just in the singular nominative shows up 16 times. But if you try to count this word in all the noun forms or in the related verb form to glorify, it's, I gave up counting. It's everywhere. No wonder the people who began to shape the worship of the Jesus people kept the Kyrie and the Gloria together. If you had the privilege of hearing Megan Good's uh, meditation on Exodus 33 last week, you heard her describe the glory of God, which Moses begged to see as darkness. God held his hand over Moses until God's glory had passed by, and Moses saw only the back. That darkness might be something like the heaviness of glory that I heard about long ago. But if you read Exodus 33, God names God's own character, not only as glory, but also as goodness and as mercy. In Psalm 27, just before this cry for mercy, the poet promises to sing, to make melody, to shout for joy. These varied and seemingly incongruous responses are intimately tied together. I believe that this is a model for us. Today, this week, this year, as we cry for God's mercy and as we see God's glory and give glory to God, we can moan. We can scream, and we can give thanks, and we can honor God's eternal goodness. Glory is not fluff. It is not pomp and circumstance. It is the weighted down 
and lifted up realization that God is over, under, and through all things. Kyrie eleison. Glory to God. Thank you, Nancy and Sue, for that uh, invitation to ground our semester in gratitude and reflecting on God's goodness and in glory and mercy. And I think my favorite line of the morning is that glory is not fluff. I'm going to ponder that for a while. So we come now to a time of prayer, prayers around the pandemic, prayers around the political tensions in our country and around the world. Prayers for our personal lives and for the university as we begin a new semester. In each of three sections, I will lead us verbally and then invite us into a time of silent prayer. And then the musicians will lead us in Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. And we will do that three times. Throughout the prayers, when I say Lord and pause, you are invited to add the phrase add mercy, or if you want to, I would say Lord, you say have mercy, yes. Uh, you are invited uh, instead to say Kyrie eleison, whichever you prefer. Let's pray. Oh God, in a world that has seen over two million people die from COVID, and a country that has seen over 390,000 die, we cry out, Lord, have mercy. Behind each one of these numbers is a story, and many people who die leave behind cherished loved ones. For those who are grieving, Lord, have mercy. For all of those who are sick and afraid, who don't have access to health care, or who are dying alone in hospitals, Lord, have mercy. For our exhausted health care workers, for essential workers on the front lines, for teachers, for parents, for isolated retirees. Lord, have mercy. For government officials and public health employees at all levels who are seeking to lead us through this difficult time, Lord, have mercy. And for those many who have suffered job loss eviction, and hunger due to the pandemic, Lord, have mercy. Hear now our prayers as we pray in silence.
Lord, have mercy. Kyrie eleison. Oh God, in this time of great unrest, fear, and uncertainty in our country, we cry out, Lord, have mercy. For other places around the world facing political unrest and uncertainty, particularly Uganda, we cry out, Lord, have mercy. For safety for President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris and their families, as well as other elected officials, both tomorrow at the inauguration and throughout their upcoming terms, Lord, have mercy. For a spirit of restraint and calm across all 50 states in state capitals, and other places that may be targets of violence tomorrow and in the coming days. Lord, have mercy. For the African-American and Jewish communities and others who were deeply impacted by the racist and hate-filled imagery used by the mob at the Capitol, and for the continuing unequal and unjust treatment and double standard used by our criminal justice system, Lord, have mercy. For your church and your followers, that we might live faithfully and with integrity and courage in these difficult and divisive days, that we may live in the spirit and legacy of Martin Luther King. Lord, have mercy. Hear us now as we pray in silence. Lord, have mercy, Kyrie eleison.
Oh God, as we begin a new semester, we are easily distracted by national news, both political and pandemic related. And we also each carry our own personal stories of anxiety and grief. Some of us have lost jobs. Some of us have lost loved ones. We have all had to adapt in difficult and sometimes lonely ways. Lord, have mercy. Yet we stand at the beginning of a new semester, a new year, eager to explore new possibilities of learning and growth. In this mixture of emotion, we await your signs of goodness and faithfulness. Lord, have mercy. Grant us each patience with ourselves and with those around us. Grant us each courage to respond faithfully to the challenges that lie ahead. Empower us to continue caring for one another even in the face of adversity. Lord, have mercy. As a campus, Lord, we thank you for the spirit of creativity and cooperation that got us through the fall semester. And we pray for your ongoing hand of guidance and protection as we begin this new semester. Bless all those who have responsibilities to keep us safe and healthy. Bless students, faculty, staff, and administrators who continually need to adapt and pivot to new ways of learning. As we begin another semester filled with great unknown, we cry out, Lord, have mercy. Hear us now as we pray in silence. Lord, have mercy, Kyrie eleison. these words from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
Therefore we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Our closing song today, which will be followed by a benediction, is um, Move in Our Midst, which Perry has chosen, and I think it's a really fitting um, way to think about the new semester and our invitation amidst all that swirls around us to center on God moving in our midst as we enter into this time. So I really invite you to embrace these words. I'd like to invite you to stand, whether you're in this room or whether you're at home. Read an article this week about the importance of standing up when we're working on a computer. So those of you out there, please join us as you receive this benediction, this blessing on this upcoming semester. Now may God take your minds and think through them. And may God take your lips and speak through them. 
And may God take your hands and heal through them. And may God take your hearts and set them on fire with love. Amen. Go in God's peace.